Appreciate uh, everybody being here today. If you're visiting today, my name's Mark, and uh, I'm one of the pastors and fill the pulpit on most uh, Sundays. Appreciate you being here. We're in a, a series of sermons that we're just going through the book of Psalms, and I'm basically just picking out a psalm that kind of uh, strikes my fancy, something that I feel like uh, God wants me to preach on, and we've done that for five or six weeks, and we'll continue that all the way through the end of August. And I come today to a psalm, uh, at least a verse uh, of Psalm 127 that is familiar to most of us if we've been in the church a while. Children are a heritage from the Lord. That word gets translated a lot of different ways. Children are an inheritance from the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord. Um, inheritance is the best translation. Um, Children are a heritage. If you've received a heritage from someone, it's something you've inherited from someone. Uh, children are an inheritance from the Lord. Offspring, they are a reward from uh, him. Um, so I want to talk to you this morning about how to be good stewards of this inheritance that we have. There will be a day in time that uh, Sue and I will leave our boys an inheritance. And uh, it looks like we'll be able to leave them more than my parents left uh, what are you smiling about down there on the front row? <laughs> and it looks like I'll be able, we'll be able to leave them more than my parents left us and uh, more than their parents left them. And that's the way it should go in functional families. And, um, but when we leave them that inheritance, we want them to be good stewards of that. We don't want them to go out and buy a Maserati with that or anything like that, okay? We want them to be a good stewards of that. In fact, that's why some uh, people leave an inheritance and they'll leave it as a trust and they'll leave instructions on how to use that. Um, we've had that happen in the church many times. People have died and left the church some money and, and, and they have said this is the way that we would want you to use that. They don't want us to go out and, and blow it. They said, we, would you use it in these parameters? And, and um, so we're called to be good stewards of what God has given us. Now, the word stewards is a word that you don't use much in everyday language. We only use that around church too much when we talk about stewardship. We don't use that too much out in the world today. But uh, stewardship really is, there's, there's really four words for stewardship. And this is a whole sermon I'm going to give you in two minutes. It's, it's basically ownership. It's basically that God is the owner of all. Now, that's really a churchy thing to say. Uh, but it is true. If, if I have kids, it's only because of the ability that God gave me to have those. If I'm breathing today and I'm working today and earning a living today, it's because I have the breath to do that. That doesn't mean that I don't work hard. It doesn't mean that I haven't stuck my uh, nose to the grindstone and all that kind of stuff. But God is the owner of all. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. He is the owner of all. And I have, if I have air to breathe today, if I have strength to walk up and down these steps, if I have the ability to, to write a sermon this morning, that all came from God. God didn't have to give me that. C.S. Lewis speaks to this in his book, Mere Christianity. If you're a reader and like to read and never read Mere Christianity, I would suggest that book to you. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs uh, from moment to moment is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him everything that was not, in a sense, his all own already. Ownership is a, is a big deal, and that's how we are good stewards of what 
um, God has given us because God owns it. But then another one of those four words was responsibility. We are responsible for that. Obviously, we leave an inheritance to our boys. We want them to be responsible with that. There is accountability in that whole stewardship thing as well. Ownership, responsibility, accountability, and finally there is reward because the Bible talks about um, in a couple of different places that for what God has given us, there will be a day that he says to some people, uh, like he did in Matthew chapter 25, he says to some people, uh, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You have done well with what I have given you. You have been a good steward of what I have given you. So, so the whole concept of stewardship is though those four words, ownership, responsibility, accountability, and, there, and then there is reward. God has given you the ability to do stuff. He's given you gifts and graces. He's given you talents. What have we done with those? We must be good stewards of those. Our children, according to Psalm 127.3, are a heritage from the Lord. According to Psalm 127.3, they are an inheritance from the reward. The last part of that verse said they are reward from him. How is it that we are good stewards of what God has given us? How is it that we are good stewards of the inheritance that God has given us? Now, we could preach forever and ever on this and I'm going to touch on three things today. You're going to wonder why I didn't touch on that and why I didn't touch on that. That is because you want to go home and eat sooner or later. Okay, I don't. We don't have time to go through all those things. But I wanted to bring out three things that were impactful to me when I studied this again uh, this week. And and this came out of of this, my second devotion. I was writing devotions on this, and um, and in, in in researching those devotions and trying to figure out some things, we put it in the form of a sermon. Uh, how are you to be a good steward of the inheritance that God has given you, particularly of his children? Now, now listen, uh, you don't have any children or you don't have any grandchildren. This message is still for you because I could easily preach this. I could easily preach this, how to get the best out of your employees. <laughs> I could easily preach this, um, how to be a good leader. I could easily preach this, how to get the best out of anyone, how to get the most out of anyone. The principles are exactly the same with the exception of one that I'm going to share today, okay? But today, I'm going to do it in the context of children. To get the best out of your children or anyone, to be a good steward of your children, you need to embrace their uniqueness. Their uniqueness causes difficulty sometimes because my family would go a lot e easier if everybody was like me. I mean, I don't get why nobody else agrees with me on that, but I... But everybody is not like me. Everybody will not be like me. God is not a cookie-cutter God. God loves diversity. I've only, got to look, I've only got to look at this section of people right here and say God loves diversity. I look at this section of people and I say, wow, God loves diversity. 
And while we're all called to a certain standard of living as Christians, there's huge diversity under that umbrella. Don't misunderstand me. There's a certain standard that God calls us to. But under that umbrella of God's standard, which is recorded in his word, there is huge diversity. Christians come, come in all shapes and sizes and thinking patterns and likes and dislikes. As I look at Christianity, as I look at the body of Christ, we do not walk in lockstep with one another. And sometimes those of us on one side of an issue or another side of the issue says, well, if you just need to come to our side, and they say we need to come to their side, okay, I get all of that, and I, I don't know how to work out all of that, and I'm not going to try to solve all of that issue today, but I just see tremendous diversity among the body of Christ for people who love Jesus. I just see it. I don't see in his word as God lays out standards, as God lays out what he calls us to, I don't see a little mold there that we're all supposed to fit in. Again, I'll say it again. This is under the umbrella of God's will for us that's revealed to us in his word. I'm not just talking about willy-nilly any kind of diversity. But under that umbrella, there's lots of room. There's just lots of room. I mean, I've been to Africa, and I've worshipped in Africa. I'm going to tell you, that ain't like it is here. And I just don't think God likes our worship better than he likes Africans' worship. Or likes their worship better than he likes our worship. There's just tremendous diversity. And that, that comes because we're all different and we have to embrace the uniqueness of our kids to be good stewards of them we have to embrace we have to admit we have to come to grips with they're not little marks and they're not little sues and they're not little jacks and they're not little marys they're their own unique dna from the moment of conception that child has its own unique dna it's a person in and of itself from the moment of conception they have their own unique stamp they are unique they are diverse we do not serve a cookie cutter god and for us to get the best out of our kids for us to steward our kids the best we must embrace their uniqueness psalm 120 excuse me psalm 139 these words will be familiar to you. David says, for you created me, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, verse 14 says, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. For, for me to complain about the uniqueness, the difference of my boys, that they're different than me or different than mom or different than this or different than that is to complain against God and his decision to create them with the DNA that they have. And let's, be, let's, let's just admit it, parents. Maybe, maybe it would be easier to parent and if they weren't as different and if they were more like us or more like some kind of way or something like that, but that ain't going to happen. And for me to get all out of them that I 
God wants me to get out of them. For me to be the best steward of them, I must embrace the fact that they are unique, that they are different. I must embrace that. It's more than just accepting that. It's more than just accepting that. I must somehow embrace that. Proverbs 22.6 works well really well here even though it's one of the most misinterpreted verses in all of God's word 22 6 of Proverbs says depending on the translation train up the child in the way he should go in the end he will not depart from it and and the way he should go is not a bad translation I looked at it again just before I got out here in the Hebrew there are words that are unbelievably difficult to translate And the way he should go is a good shot at it. But we've interpreted the way he should go as the Christian way, meaning raise up a child in a godly way. And and that's in in that, and certainly nothing wrong with that. Hear me say that a hundred times. But the way he should go is the way that they are inclined, the way they are bent with their uniqueness. They have certain likes. They have certain dislikes. They have certain gifts. They have certain graces. They have certain things they're good at and certain things they're lousy at, and I have to raise them according to the way that they're bent. According to the way that they're bent. There's a connotation in the Hebrew of a twig there that's being bent in a certain way. And if I try to bend them in a way that I want to bend them, and instead of the way that they're bent, just like if I try to bend an arrow, a bow, I'll break that bow probably. Again, for the third time, this is all under the umbrella of God's will. I'm not saying, well, my kid, he's bent to be a child molester. That's not what I'm talking about. This is all under the umbrella of God's will. But under the umbrella of God's standard, there's uh, thousands of tens of thousands, if not more, of bents, inclinations, desires, gifts, graces, wants, things they're good at, things they're not good at. And I as a parent must embrace that bentness. And I've got to go with that bentness. Raise up a child in the way they should go, the way they are bent. And in the end, he won't depart from it. Now, we've tried to take this verse and say, well, you know, we, we try to take this verse and say, well, raise up a child like a Christian in the end, they'll, and they'll always be a Christian. And we know that hasn't been the case. So we've said, you know, we've said all kinds of things to justify that verse. But the, the, the truth of the matter is that wasn't what the verse was saying. The verse was just basically saying, raise up a child in the way they're inclined, the way they're bent, the way they're made, the way their DNA is, and in the end, they won't depart from that and that doesn't mean you don't raise up a child in a godly way but it's just that's not what the verse is trying to get at you have bents i have bents they have bents all god's children got bents it's our job as parents to embrace those that bentness and i don't do this good because levi will come up to me and he'll he'll be he'll be bent towards some levi's just really smart and 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 he he just He's just way smarter than me, and he's thought of stuff I've never thought of before. I'm 62 years old, and, and I don't know if I want to think about it, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> but if I want to steward the best I can, I'll go with the bentness. 
I'll go with the bentness. I'll go with the inclination. I will embrace the uniqueness. As you raise your kids, you, everybody knows this. You, you don't raise them. Hopefully we treat them fairly, but we just don't treat them the same. Sean McDufford sits down here in the front in the first service. He's got a landscaping service, and both of my boys are working for him this summer. And he just said, man, they've just challenged me because I've got to treat them both differently. And he does. He said they've both done good jobs. He's enjoyed working with both, but they're just different. Not right, not wrong. They're just different. What works for one does not work for the other one. What works for one does not work for the third child, fourth child, fifth child. And don't back down, parents, from treating them differently. You treat them fairly. You treat them right. But it's hard to treat them all the same. If I treat them all the same, I'm trying to mold them all into the same thing. Remember, used to, I used to, there used to be a teaching that children are a lump of clay. And we just mold them into what we want them to be. Well... And there's a certain amount of truth to that. But they're a lump of clay with all kinds of likes and dislikes. They're a lump of clay with all kinds of ideas of their own. And, and, and for me to mold them into what I want them to be, many times is going to be the worst thing I need to go with their bent. It's really important, I think. All of this is under them. I've said this five times already. All of this is under the umbrella of God's will, under the umbrella of God's standards. There's a couple of enemies of your child's uniqueness, and that's comparison and conformity. If I compare my child one to another, your child's doing that, but my child's not, and your child's excelling in that and my child's not or you see my child excelling in something that your child is not and I think there, there can be it can get in there friends even though we all know that that's not right and we shouldn't treat our children that way or treat anyone that way let them be unique Psalm excuse me Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Uh, comparison at its root is, is jealousy, and comparison has conceit with that. An ugly truth about us parents is, is sometimes we can raise our kids to please other parents, to compare or to conform with some other standard. All the other parents are doing this, all the other parents have their kids in this. That's conformity. Comparison and conformity can be enemies to embracing the uniqueness of your child. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves one to another. Uh, one translation say, pay attention to your own work there comparison conformity 
And, and maybe subconsciously, if we're comparing, that can be passed on to the kids, and the kids will compare themselves on their own. And they have enough difficulty with that, trying to, trying to work through peer pressure and work through trying to be their own person as they grow up. That, they have to struggle with that themselves. We obviously, as parents, shouldn't put any more of that on them than is already they struggle with themselves. Conformity, comparison. We are not longer, we are no longer Romans chapter 2 to conform to a pattern of this world, but we are to be transformed. And I don't think I can trans be cooperate in the in the in the in the transforming of God's transforming of my boy if I'm trying to conform him to something that uh, he obviously doesn't fit into because of his DNA, into his uniqueness. <laughs> allow our boys, allow our girls, allow our kids to be themselves for the sixth time under the umbrella of God's standards, under the umbrella of God's will for their lives. There is wide diversity. Proverbs 29, 25 talks a little bit about why we conform because we want to please people. It's called in the Bible, the fear of man. The fear of man. We love our kids and love doesn't seek its own way. If we love our kids, we'll allow them to have their own way their own inclination the way they're going under the umbrella of god's will seventh time i've said it letting them have their own way doesn't mean willy-nilly but it doesn't mean i force them to conform into my mold i force them i've made mistakes here you've made mistakes here we've all made mistakes here our kids are unique we have to embrace that uniqueness I believe with all my heart that God, one of the big ways that God disciples me is through my kids. He's discipling me. He's teaching me about love and joy and patience and peace. He's teaching me about what it means to be a Christian because he's given me these kids. It's one of the best tools that he uses to raise parents up. We, raise, we are hopefully raising kids up in the right way, but God is using our kids to raise us up, to disciple us, to rub off the rough edges of our personalities and make us more like Jesus. How do you be good stewards of what I guess is the most precious gift that God has given you? I guess maybe we could argue that life is the most precious gift, but... Children are an inheritance. How are we good stewards to that? There's lots of ways. I just want to say today, embrace their uniqueness. <laughs> Parents, whether you really, let's is just really, really honest. Can I just be really honest? Whether you really like the uniqueness or not, you always wanted your kid to, you always wanted your kid to, God has given you a precious gift. 
a unique gift that's unlike any other gift he could give anyone else. Embrace it. Embrace their uniqueness. But also, also, this is close, close to that, but it's different. It's affirm their value. It's affirm their value. It's to, it's, it's to revel in their uniqueness. It's to revel in their value. It's to celebrate them. It's to celebrate uh, their value. It's to celebrate their worth. It's to revel in that. God's given us marvelous, valuable gift. And I can just accept it. I can just accept it. I can accept their uniqueness or I can affirm it. I can embrace it and thus affirm their value and, 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 and affirm their worth. And I think those of us that are older, we maybe work through most of the self-image and self-esteem issues in our life forget many times that our kids are right there working through them where we were many years ago and God has helped us through that and we're not a slave to other people's opinions as much as we used to be when we were 13, 14, 15, and 16 and our kids are, are right there. The kid, their kids are their own personal value is up one day and down the next and up one day and down the next. It's a roller coaster just like a lot of ours were. There has to be a place where they know they're valued they know they're valued. Their value is not in the fact that they got a 32 on the ACT. Their value is not in the fact that they got a 3.8 grade point average. Great for all of those things. Great for all of those things. We should help them toward that. But we should, we should, we should, we should uh, expect solid efforts and all of that kind of stuff. But their value is not, it's just in who they are their value. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus speaks a little bit of that. He said, Aren't two, uh, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, meaning that they're worth nothing? They're just, they're just, they don't have too much worldly worth to them, yet not even one of them falls to the ground without your father's care. The, these sparrows who had just been said that they don't, aren't worth much, God notices, God sees. God sees the value in something that has no worldly value. We, we, we embrace their uniqueness, but we must affirm, we must affirm their, their, their value. And then Jesus said, well, you're worth more than many sparrows. So if, if, if I notice that sparrow that falls to the ground, how much more do I notice your kids? Real quickly, this is not brain surgery. How, how do you affirm their value? You, you, you give them your attention. In a day and an age where I've, I've got the whole world in the palm of my hand with my cell phone. I mean, the, the whole world is in the palm of my hand. I mean, there is, there is I can do anything on the palm of my hand anymore. There's so many things that can grab my attention. Good, bad, indifferent. The palm of my hand. Give them a, your attention. That's, that's just not brain surgery. That's just, that's just duh. But is it something that I do? 
Mark chapter 12 is a story with Jesus sitting down and watching people putting money in the offering plate, and he notices this widow. People putting all kinds of money in, but he notices this widow who did nothing more than put in two little small bits, two little small copper coins. He notices, he sees, he observes. He's attentive. He's attentive. Firm their value. Give them your attention. Give them your physical affection. Give them your physical. This works, this works out a whole lot of different ways, and it depends on your uniqueness. I got one kid who's a hugger and one kid who's not a hugger. And I can't force the one who's not a hugger to be a hugger. I'm, 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 I'm breaking the bow. If the bow is bent to not be a hugger and I try to force that, then I'm, I'm, I'm breaking that. Physical affection. Physical affection may not come easy to some of us guys, but if your child is bent that way, get over it, adult. Your child may need that. And it may not be a hug. Us guys, you say, how we're, you know, guys are weird. You know how guys, you saw, you saw me out in the hallway, if you saw me, you almost always will see me playing around with some kid or flicking his ear or something like that. You know what? That's a part of physical affection, believe it or not. Why do I go around and flick kids' ear? Is that just a stupid thing Mark does? No, I'm touching them. I'm paying attention to them. Why do I go around a little kid and grab him by the neck and say, you know, I'm always be stronger than you. <laughs> I'm just playing with them. I'm giving them physical affection. You women don't understand that at all, do you? <laughs> Affirm their value. Give them your attention. Give them physical affection. Give them verbal, verbal attention as well. Verbal attention as well. Some children more than the other need that pat on the back. Maybe you don't need it, adult, but your child may needs that verbal appreciation, needs that attaboy. I, I, I think I, I fall a lot in this because, you know, I... You know, you just you, you you know what's a guy thing? You're just supposed to do what you're supposed to do in life. You know, you just suck it up and do it. But our kids—I mean, I know that at 62, but I didn't know that at 16 and 15 and 18, and the verbal pat on the back and the verbal appreciation. And well, maybe I personally don't need that, or maybe I'm not that personality that need that. If your kids may need that affirmation. It's one way to affirm their value. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Just, wow. Tone of voice in the home, friends. Tone of voice in the home. Tone of voice in the home. And, and we, we're, we're on our kids about tone of voice, and as we should be. They've they got to learn the importance of tone of voice, and, but we have to model it, and we have to practice it. And, and, and 
it's, it's just crucial in affirming their value in the message paraphrase of the Bible Proverbs 25 11 says this the right word at the right time is like a custom made piece of jewelry the father said to the son in Matthew chapter 3 verse 17 he says this is my son in whom I am well pleased affirm their value celebrate them their value goes far beyond their by their far farther than their accomplishments or their grades what they're doing affirm their value and, and let me let me close let me close with this to best steward your kids to best steward your kids to bring out the best in your kids to the very best job raising children as you possibly can however you like to title this message please don't forget and as Christians may we never back down on this that God's design and his best is that there is a mom and a dad present in the home Keyword and. Keyword and. And we know about the sinfulness of man. But people will try to start talking about the shape that the world is in and they'll start in Genesis 3 where the fall came into the world but you can't start there you start in Genesis 1 and 2 that was God's intention that is God's intention he created them Genesis 1:27 male and female now because of Genesis 3 and all the other chapters of the Bible there is sin that's come into this world and there's the reality of that and that must be dealt with but may we never back down on the fact that God's best has been revealed to us in Genesis 1 and 2 and we can't start talking about the state of humanity and just talk, start talking about it from Genesis 3 all of the different diversions away from God's best that have shown up in our society over the last X amount of years And I praise God for every single mom who's doing the hardest job that she could ever do. I praise God for that. And we as, we as a church should be able to help and come beside in any way that we can. But maybe we never back down from God's design, and that's with a mom and a dad present in the home. May we, may we not be worried about offending some well-meaning person because they're working so hard and will make them feel bad if we say this no are you telling me God's truth makes them feel bad now it needs to be said with love it needs to be said with grace we 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 we, we obviously need to 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 be mindful of of what sin has done and and all of that and work we have to work with what the situation is I know that but 
the best, God's design, what God calls for is a mother and a father in the same home. And, and, and may we not be worried to say it because it's just not happening. That's what God wants. That's how to best steward the kids. That's how to get the most out of your kids. Your, 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 your child needs what a mom can bring. Your child needs what a dad can bring. Your child needs to learn feminine characteristics and masculine characteristics. And all that somehow goes together to bring out the best in the child. 40% of our children today are being raised without the birth dad in the home. 40% of our children today are being raised without the birth dad in the home. A lot of those moms are doing a good job. They're single dads that are doing a good job. They're working hard and they're trying to do the best they can and praise God for them. But hear this preacher, Esther said the best, the best was revealed to us before Genesis 3. The best, we don't take our cues from Genesis 3. We take our cues from creation. That's an unbelievably important theological point. Forty percent. Forty percent. It's larger in some areas of this country and among some ethnic groups. It's as high as 75 percent. And we're afraid and we're afraid to talk about fatherlessness because it steps on toes. We're afraid to talk about it, which means we're afraid to talk about the truth of God's word. Just because how, how much hurt this brings into some people. And I, I get that, and I want to be respectful of that, but how is it that I can proclaim truth and still be respectful? It's grace and truth, and I'm sure I fall short, and I'm sure I don't mix those together right. This is the God standard. This is the best. This is the design. This is how you best steward this gift God has given you. A study was done by Harvard in 2016, and in the summary of their study, it said every child who winds up doing well has had, has had at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive adult. That, that sounds like it came from a secular Institution. That's because it's a very non-committal statement. One stable, committed adult. Friends, how much better will they do with two stable, committed adults that are their mom and dad? This is basically saying you need one adult in your life to, sh to show you attention. And it's a common denominator. It's a common denominator on doing well in life, that you have to have one adult in your life. And I don't doubt this, and I think this is true, and, and I think you all know there's got to be one adult in your life that, 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 that gives you attention. Okay? But what if we did it God's way, and there were two adults that just happened to be mom and dad? How much more well would our children do Sue and I are foster parents for years, and 
We were involved with, for several years, when we pastored in Georgia with a camp that we brought 60 to 70 foster kids for a week at camp, and I was never, I was always, I was always amazed at all the stuff that these little foster kids had been through and all the lousy parenting that, that they had had to endure and how mom and dad had done this and did, did that and didn't do this and didn't do that. But I was always amazed at the still, they still had an attachment to mom and dad, no matter, no matter what mom and dad did or didn't do. One stable adult about two stable adults that have that intangible connection that only moms and dads have. <laughs> Friends, we have a whole lot that comes under the heading of diversity. And, and we have a whole lot that's pressuring us to be accepting of and accepting usually gets defined as thinking it's okay not just accepting you got a pink polka dot shirt on I can accept that I, I still think it's nasty looking or something but I can still accept it accepting gets defined today as it's right. It's just as good as any other way. God's, God has given us what is right. God has given us what is right. And we must never back down on it just because the world seems to be saying, this is right, this is right, this is right, this is right. You must be tolerant. You must be acceptable. All, this, all these are rights. No, hear me. There is a right way to raise a family. There is a right way, Genesis 1 and chapter 2. It's mom and dad in the home. Well, Mark, we just don't have that. It, this, this, the world has just gone to hell in a handbasket, and we don't have that anymore. Well, maybe we don't. And we as the church have to come alongside and help all of those that are working out all the aspects of sin. But I will still, to the day I preach, last sermon, I will say this is the way it's supposed to be. And hopefully God will give me the grace to say that in a loving way and not in a condemning or judgmental way. And I'm sure we all fall short of that at times. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul assumes fathers. He assumes them. He assumes their worth and he assumes their value. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. He, he, he's, he's assuming that fathers deal with their own, the importance of dads. And, and he says, we dealt with you in a right way, just like fathers deal with their own children. He's assuming the importance and the value of fathers. Fathers have become an expendable commodity and the only in some circles, and I'm not exaggerating, in some circles are only what they're as good as their biological function. But hear God's word. He created them male and he created them female. And there's a reason.
and there's a purpose. To steward our children the best, it's when mom and dad are present in the home. Jesus, we talked about affirming value. Jesus forever showed the value that all of us have, including our kids, by dying for us on the cross. The whole, the whole trinity shows, shows value, shows our value. God the Father created us, and God the Son died for us, and God the Holy Spirit is indwelling us to, to transform us into the people that he's called us to be. But if you have any question about the value, your own personal value, if you have any question, gosh, if you have any question about your own personal value and your own personal worth or your kid's own personal value or their personal worth, you just got to look at the cross. It's the only place you have to look. Teens, you'll hear one thing, you'll hear another thing, and you'll feel valued one day, you won't feel valued another day, and your boyfriend breaks up with you and your girlfriend breaks up with you and you have a good day on the athletic field and a bad day on the athletic field, but you have no, ever have any question about your value because God sent his only son to die for you. That's how valuable, valuable you are. And that's one of the reasons we come to the table every single week just to remember all that this means, and this means a whole lot. It means a whole lot. And in the context of today's message, it means the unbelievable value of one soul. One soul. For the next four or five weeks, we're going to have a smorgasbord of communion, I guess, and you can choose to take it however you choose to take it. You can have this little vial that you can pick up out there. You can come to the altar and pray, and there's, there's communion sets here. You can come to the tables. If we could have our servers come to the table, that'd be really great. But no matter what's going on in your life, young person, old person, in between, whatever it may be, no matter what's going on, this always represents how valuable you are, the importance that you are are to God that he gave the very best he could ever give for you and so in these next few moments you're going to take you're going to make a choice here you may want to come to the altar and you may want to come to the tables or you may want to sit right there and use the communion set but just in the next few minutes you you receive now however you choose to receive in just a couple of minutes for those of you choosing this way I'll I'll talk us through it together. Let's uh, spend these next few minutes together, please.